1: It's a big day. Football season starts tonight. And then, should a school need to defend itself for baptizing 100 students? You're listening to The Common Good. Hey everybody, welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you with us on this Thursday afternoon. A beautiful fall afternoon here in the Chicagoland. Aubrey, it is beautiful. Not only because the weather is nice, the you know, the fall crispness. I, I took my dogs out at 6 a.m. this morning and saw my breath like, wow. we're, we're, we're like in the fall. Oh,
2: that's exciting. I love that. Are you about to say, and it's also exciting because the new She-Hulk episode is out?
1: <laughs> no. I didn't Uh-oh. think
2: you were. I didn't think you were, but
1: There there are some popular megachurch pastors who I'm sure have thoughts on She Hulk.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know that's true. You know
0: that's true.
1: <laughs> no, it is a big day because Aubrey It is the start of the football season tonight. NFL football is upon us.
2: Not She-Hulk, but NFL football. That is exciting. What a great time of year it is for sports fans everywhere.
1: In a mere, uh, I don't know, three hours or so, we're going to get the Super Bowl champion uh, Los Angeles Rams hosting many people's Super Bowl favorites, the Buffalo Bills. And uh, there is something when you hear that football music right like each station has their own music and it is there, there's in fact a funny thing that goes around on the internet where I'm guessing it's contrived and it's not real but I'm I like to believe these things okay where all these different women they figured out that if you play the intro to the football music to Sunday night football you know like the do 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 mm. that your husband will walk into yes. the room <laughs> <laughs> He'll try to figure out, (laughs) Um, wait, there's football on. That's so good. I would
2: have to actually test that. That's actually pretty hilarious. Wow. This is also very exciting. So so, tell me some – teach me some things. What's happening?
1: Well, the Bears are going to be bad this year, but this is also the time of the year that every time the Bears win and I open up Facebook, I know – that a certain Bears fan named Kevin Sampson <laughs> will just type Super Bowl, Super Bowl Super Bears, or he'll just type Super Bowl. It's it's always uh that's the irony of it. Yes, that's basically all irony. my
2: husband posts for the next several months is Super Bowl, Super Bowl, yeah. Super Bowl. And unfortunately for him,
1: in the next seventeen weeks yeah. of Bear games, he'll be able to post it yeah. about five times. <laughs> yeah, I did.
2: I, I told you over the weekend. Last weekend, I spoke at a church in seattle and you would have been proud of me brian because i started by saying i i I started by getting very serious and said you guys i'm so sorry for your loss and i said i don't know whether to be mad at the organization or the player himself but my condolences on the loss of russell wilson and everyone was like "Ah!" Ah. (laughs) and then but then i did say but look we're a Bears fan family, and so, like, you think you're in pain, but you don't know pain until you're you a don't Bears know pain. fan. You have no idea how brutal it is to be a Bears fan. So,
1: random aside, Russell Wilson, first of all, of course, they set the schedule up, so his first game is Monday Night Football in Seattle. I
2: know! My, I actually Seattle. have friends who have tickets, so that's so crazy. Seattle friends who have tickets, so they're like, we're going to go!
1: <laughs> all right. Non-football Russell Re- Wilson related thing. Yeah. Russell Wilson is married to a famous singer named yes. Ciara. Ciara. Right? So yeah. they they are not hurting for money. He just signed one of the biggest contracts. They just purchased a house. I saw this online. They just purchased a house in Denver that is 20,000 square feet. It has a basketball court, a enormous pool, a gym, all of this stuff. Wow. Aubrey, it has tw- this is the confusing part about this house. Okay. It has 12 bathrooms.
0: Wow. Okay? So a
1: 20,000 square foot house Twelve. that I just described to you with 12 bathrooms, with uh, an enormous pool, a basketball court, a tennis court, everything you could ever imagine. Yeah. How many bedrooms would you expect that house to have? Oh,
2: gosh. I mean, like 10 to 12 it bedrooms.
1: Four. What? Is that not... Does it not scream like we want nobody to stay in our house? It's like what? somebody somebody retweeted the picture and said, "No, that uh, can't be right." Nothing like nothing like having a twenty thousand square foot house and telling your friends, "Hey, you gotta go find a local hotel room.
2: <laughs> you can use our <laughs> bathrooms, but you can't spend the night." <laughs>
1: wow, I mean that was crazy. Anyway, a twenty thousand square foot house with four bedrooms. But let's get back to football. Aubrey, of course, this time of year does bring up an interesting question. I have told you in the past that uh I've got some buddies we spend the football season playing weekly fan duel. Uh, which is uh, obviously a a site where you put in five bucks a week, winner gets the money. You, it ends up equaling out, right? Okay, you end up okay. basically not winning, not losing much money in the course of the year. But the Gospel Coalition asked this question yesterday, and I would just like your opinion.
2: Okay, let's hear.
1: Because it really coincides with football, because football in many ways is super popular because of gambling.
2: Uh, right, yes.
1: Whether it be... Uh, straight gambling on games, whether it be things like FanDuel, whether it be fantasy football, yeah, uh, gambling drives a lot of N- of the NFL popularity. So the Gospel Coalition asked this question: Should a Christian bet on sports? Mm. What do you, as a Christian, think about sports betting? betting is it a yeah. is it a sin issue? Is right. it a wisdom issue? Right. Is it a non issue? Should a – how would you answer the Gospel Coalition's question?
2: So I think I have told you that I've got a little Puritan that lives in my head, like a little – she's like a little legalist. I'm still trying to find out the right name for her. It's something very old-fashioned, but I haven't – maybe like Ruby or something like that. But uh, sh- <laughs> for whatever reason, sports betting for that little Puritan in my head is like, no, no, no. Christians do not gamble. Christians do not Seriously? bet. Like I th- – I honestly that's my initial trigger without thinking through it I'm kind of like there's there's something ingrained in me from my early days I guess as a Southern Baptist is like no 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 Uh uh-uh Christians you don't gamble you don't bet like even I have some friends who are Christians who will like regularly go to casinos and I'm like no 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 wow but okay I mean if I actually thought through it i think probably like most things it's a matter of the heart it's a matter of your own addictions it's a matter of like is this good fun is your community involved does your spouse know or are you doing this secretly to try to like Mm. Earn money, and there's some like more duplicitous or dark motivation behind it. I think that's, good. that's probably the real question that needs to be asked. Like, do I, I think it's—I you... do. I think it's a sin. I think it depends on the motivation of your heart and the way you're going about it, and like yep. if you have the money to do it or not.
1: I picture you having that inner dialogue with with your inner puritan uh, while watching like a a uh, a rated R movie, drinking a glass of wine with a <laughs> cannabis coming. <gummy. laughs> Going, like, you should not gamble.
2: <laughs> my, right, my inner Puritan is like a like kind of a hypocrite, right? Because it's a like, selective. It's, a, it's <laughs>
1: whatever I want to do, but no gambling. It's a dude. selective. <laughs> it's a selective inner Puritan is what it is. Uh, I appreciate how the Gospel Coalition answers the question, and it's a lot the way you do. Uh, if you're doing this to get rich, it's probably a fool's move, right? Mm. Like this is a lot more people have gone bankrupt than gone rich in gambling. Okay, yeah. But they answer the question this way: uh, a as spirit-filled Christians, we can navigate sports betting with wisdom. For some, it may be an addictive struggle to be avoided. Yeah. For others, it may be an entertaining bridge builder. For yeah. all of us, it should be handled with wisdom. An appropriate caution. I think that's good. I've I've never told you my, oh, maybe I have my gambling story where my wife and I, right before we got married or right after we got married, we had a conversation that you probably shouldn't have together. We had this (laughs) conversation. We thought it was funny. Uh, It was, if you ever developed an addiction, what do you think it would be for? (laughs) That probably isn't funny. Did you say sports funny? I said I don't worry about this but if it were anything for me it would be gambling and now yeah. anytime I mention gambling she's, she's like, like oh, red, flag, oh. red flag And I'm I like, feel no, like you made me answer the question <laughs> I feel like
2: for me if it if it was in the realm of gambling it would not be sports so like I'm I'm going to be at like the exotic animal races you know or like the ostrich races and the zebra races the, that's what i'm betting on that's where that's you, my my addiction uh
1: a a topic that has been kind of evergreen for as long as we've done this show but has really picked up steam lately is the idea of uh, male-female relationships yeah. within the church, right? And Christianity Today, uh, Bronwyn Lee wrote this article, Sex Scandals and the Evangelical Mind, How Stories of Misbehavior Distort Our Vision of Male-Female Friendship in the Church. And now we've covered this a couple of times, but I feel like it's such an important issue right now for us to circle back to. Um, You read these stories of... Uh, So a lot of this is stemming from the Matt Chandler story at Village Church, where nobody's really sure what happens yet. We're going to see how this plays out. But he either uh, got – either they're telling the complete story and he got too close online, too familiar, if you will, in their elder's opinion, with a female friend at the church, or there's a whole lot more to come. And, you know, so who knows what's going to come of that. But it has raised the question. Yeah. Yeah. What does appropriate male-female relationships for adults, for married adults particularly, look like within a church? This has brought back the Billy Graham rule that everyone discusses when these types of stories come up. The reminder here is Billy Graham had a rule, hence the name, right that, uh, that he would never uh, meet alone with a woman who was not his wife. Right. And so it didn't mean he didn't meet with a woman, but he would do it uh, with another person there or whatever else it might be. So that's kind of the spectrum. And I feel like everybody's wrestling with this Mm -hmm. right now because you get these stories of these pastors who didn't handle it well. Yeah, right. And so I I, I don't know. I know we've discussed this, but I I wanted to circle back to it, not just because Christianity Today wrote about it, but because I really just feel like Nobody has a great grasp of it yeah. right now. So, how are you processing uh, this story?
2: Um, so, I think I've told you that I have sort of intentionally stopped processing it because uh. I, um, I, I, and I can talk about the Billy Graham role separately from this. But as far as specifically Matt Chandler, like, I don't, I don't think it's anyone's business. That's what I've decided. Like, mm-hmm. I. Unless you are, if you're in that church community, it's your business. If he's your pastor, it's your business. If those are your elders, it's your business. If not, it's not. And I know that he has put himself out there as like the nation's pastor by putting everything online. I still feel like the reality of what a church ought to be as far as like community, family, that's family business. And they, we don't get to weigh in unless Mm. we actually are really invested in that church. Now, if I'm tithing to that church, if I'm a part of that church, then yeah. But I, I don't know. I, I just more and more have been frustrated by some of the things I'm seeing, not just related to this story. But what you and I have talked about, Brian, is the TMZ nature of people around the church just mm-hmm. constantly looking to tear down the church. And I I don't know. I'm seeing his wife online be really, really supportive of him. And, the only, and I know there might be more to this story. And I'm not saying cover up toxicity or abuse. Never, never, never. But I think, I, I guess I just feel like it's not, it's wisdom to wait and see yeah. with more information, yeah. pray for that church, pray for the woman involved and her family and pray for this family. Now that said, from the start, you knew that part of my frustration with this story was what felt like what Bronwyn is talking about here is the Billy Graham rule. Because to me, it's at least if we're taking what they said at face value, It seemed like, to me, Matt Chandler had a friendship with a woman. His wife knew about it. Her husband knew about it. They exchanged uh, messages, as friends do, and that everyone lost their minds about it. And I think that's what's frustrating to me because in that scenario, the only one who really is a villain is the woman because she's not – like, he is protected by the elders. He gets to make this speech online. He gets to, like – Everyone applauds him. And then there's this like poor woman and she's just sort of like in anonymity, which I think is probably good. Like, I don't know that she needs to come to the forefront, but I think to me, it just sort of like um, nails down that old stereotypical uh, objectification of women as like uh, evil temptresses, etc. And I, I just I wish men and women in the church could be friends. I think ultimately that's what I'm saying. That that's what I wish. I think it's detrimental for both men and women if we can't just be friends.
1: Yeah, it, that's the difficult thing about this. Is I get the Billy Graham rule at its core. Like I, I too, understand. Brian. Yeah, I yeah. understand it, and I understand the wisdom of not putting myself in a in a vulnerable situation. Right. At yeah. the same time, more than half of my church is women. Yeah, and it really. Uh, hamstrings you in and, and sends a weird message to be like uh, you 50% of people in the church. I will never meet with you. Yeah. I will never, unless my wife is willing to come along right. with us. Right. Right. And, and, and like you said, just at the core, just at a friendship level, um, you know, to always have that hanging over you uh, like you and I do a show together. Right. Uh, and so therefore we're texting often, right? right. Like, Outside of my wife, there might be nobody I text more right, than you. Right. And right. should we feel guilty about that? Or right. is that necessary for a show to happen? Right. Yeah, and exactly. So what do you tell? What would you tell? I'm not going to ask your husband, but what would? You, what do you and your husband tell a staff member? Uh, yeah. Is it just be cautious? Is it talk to your spouse? What would you, what would you, because you said you don't want to step into the Village Church, but what would you tell someone at Renewal Church? Here's yeah. kind of best yeah. practice without going all the way Billy Graham rule.
2: Yeah. And and I'll say one thing too, before I tell you what we would say best practice, I think part of, I'm not, not, I think I know part of my issue with the Billy Graham rule is that I, what I feel like has happened unintentionally because of it is it has allowed, it, it's really only damaged women. Do you know what I mean? Like it's allowed men to stay in leadership. It's allowed men to be, have these conversations. It's allowed men to move the ball forward in, things and women haven't. And then I think that's only been a detriment to the church and it's, um it's, it's, pro- it's protected the women and I mean, it's protected the men and not the women. Ultimately that's mm. what it's done. That's my problem with it. Big time. Um, I would say, and this is what, it, this is what we do say. And this is what Kevin and I practice is, Just let somebody know if you're meeting with someone of the opposite sex, mm. like Kevin will text me. Hey, I'm about to have a meeting with so-and-so I'll text him. Hey, I'm about to have a meeting with so-and-so. So we know. So it's even – there's just not like, oh, like Kevin's never – Kevin will never be surprised that I had a lunch meeting with a guy at our church. And I Mm. will never be surprised that Kevin had a coffee meeting with a a woman at his church. So no one could ever come to me and say – oh, I saw Kevin at, you know, lunch with blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I know. I knew they had a lunch meeting. Like that's just, I think that's the way to do it. Like, and I, I'm not even, I think they can meet in their office. I can, like, I have no problem. I've had our executive pastor has come to our house for a meeting before because I haven't been able to leave because one of my kids is sick at home or something like but it's just never done secretly. I just don't know any other work environment. Like I have friends who work in the secular world. And like if their bosses were to say to them, uh, please leave the door open. We can't close the door. Like they would sue their boss for that. Do you know what I mean? Like he <laughs> yes. just gets so weird about it. And I think we've oh, – I'm going to say – sorry. I'm going to keep talking. We've over-sexualized and over-objectified women – so that, like, you can't even be in the same room together. And that's the church's problem, ultimately. Like, the world is not – the world is doing that with women, but they know how to treat women as equals in professional situations. We don't know how to be professional.
1: And, yeah, and I that, would say – It's got to yeah. change. And I would say as a man, we've we've over-basically caricatured men yeah. as they can't control themselves. That's it, As right? a man, so you, you cannot control yourself.
2: You are right. You can't control yourself, so therefore you can't be alone. It's like, yep. what can we be professionals and can we be adults?
1: Yeah. And now we see enough about temptation in these stories that that don't be naive. But at the same time, Mm -hmm. I think you give the main point, especially for those of you who are married. Tell your spouse.
0: Tell your spouse. Talk to
1: your spouse. Have an open contact with your spouse. Don't hide texts from your spouse. All of those types of things.
2: And like you said, you've said this before, Brian, and I think this is worth reiterating. If your spouse is not comfortable with that, you honor your spouse first. So if your spouse Correct. is like, well, I'm sorry, like, I know you mean well, but it's not enough to just text me and tell me I want you there with another man or another woman, then honor your spouse. Like, that's your first partner. That's who you owe, like, deference and submission to. So I I would say have the conversation as a couple, what mm. feels safe and good. Everyone feels, like, trusted and trustworthy do that i'm just letting you know how kevin and i have decided to, That's great to operate yeah yep. what about you and carrie i know i know this is kind of going long but i i do want to hear i think it's worth talking about like yeah how do it's you guys very start-
1: much it's very much the same way yeah. like uh i i tell her hey here's who i'm meeting with or um you know i have told her as best as possible i'm not going to meet with a woman alone in yeah. the church. i'll go yeah. meet at the starbucks up yeah. the street right um you know but i do my best not to hide from her mm-hmm. like hey i i you know, I met with this for it's a lot of what you're saying, and a lot of this just gets back to marriage 101. Yeah. Right? Like, be right. open with your spouse. Right. right. Uh, and, and don't hide things. So uh, a story that I do not believe is going away, but one that is is really important because churches, like you said, across the board, pastors' churches seem to just be messing this up, and mm-hmm. it's it's really frustrating. Yeah. All of us are called into mission, right? Like, yeah, as you know, if you listen to the show, Aubrey and I are both pastors. But you do not need to be a pastor in order to uh, make an eternal difference in this world, to be on mission. In fact, I would argue many of you have many more open doors than we do as pastors. Mm -hmm. And so – uh, wouldn't you say it's fair that it, that much of our job descriptions as pastors is to equip people to then go to their jobs and to oh, their families I mean, and I, to their neighborhoods?
2: Yes, I, I feel like that's one of the primary responsibilities of uh, preaching and discipleship and any really any other thing that you're doing in your church is to equip people. Equip the saints for the mission, right? Like God has called every single person to to be a minister of the gospel. And so I would say you're exactly right. Like the church ought to be equipping everybody to do that, certainly. Yeah. Especially yeah. because, I mean, you and I uh, like wholeheartedly would agree, like if you're in our people have more influence than we do, you know what I mean? Like, oh, for we, sure, like we because we're we are in a little Christian bubble, and that's okay, that's where God has placed us. But at the end of the day, like the people who are in the marketplace or working over their working have way more influence than you and I do, who are mostly surrounded by Christian people.
1: That's right, that's right. Uh, so Nathaniel Marshall wrote this over at uh Christianity. I think this gets at the tension that a lot of people feel and get wrong. He said this, 10 years ago, I found myself at a vocational fork in the road. I'd spent years praying and dreaming about pastoring a church, studying theology, writing sermons, visiting hospitals. But like many millennials, I was tight on cash. With a growing family, I had to think frankly about the feasibility of seminary, how little money I'd make as a pastor, and how, uh, how very little progress I felt I'd made in my Christian life. How was I to lead others down a path I'd yet to travel? A pastor of the church I was attending, knowing I was looking for a job, suggested that I connect with one of the congregants who owned a plumbing company. With the possibility of a job that didn't require an advanced degree and could immediately provide security for my family, I chose to pursue plumbing with this prayer. God, make me the kind of person who can one day be a pastor in your church. Hmm. A decade later, I'm still plumbing. It turns out that work, manual labor in particular, had been sitting right under my nose as perhaps the most direct route to learning the skills needed by those who desire to lead a church. Wow. I suspect I'm not alone. Any of us can become better at following Jesus by focusing on the demands and the spiritual realities of our work. Rightly understood, work is the training ground where good Christians are made. How does work make us better Christians? How can we redeem the time we spend laboring? And that's going to be Mm. the point of his article. But this gets at what we're talking all the time. Like, to be a plumber, to use his example, is not sitting on the sidelines of the Christian life. It's not sitting on the side. It's diving into the middle of it. Yeah, Where you're being tested. You're needing to stand up for your faith. You're needing to come alongside people. You're needing to serve your clients, whatever mm-hmm. else it might be. And interestingly, it feels like this guy was like, I want to be a pastor. I want to be a pastor and found that by being a plumber, uh, it kind of really opened the door for him.
2: Yeah, it it's so interesting to me too and this this article especially he dives into um like the benedictine value of labor, pray and work and he talked about how for benedict manual labor was of utmost importance. And and it is interesting because I I still think like even though we say it in churches a lot, hey, you know, everyone's a minister of the gospel. Every we still I think in our in our posture in our actions and in our spirit still think, but really it's the, it's the pastors. It's the professional Christians. And yet that's not, I mean, that's not biblical. That's not ancient. That's not like, that's a new concept, right? Like really it's always been, I mean, even Paul who was, a uh, had another, like a tent maker, right. Or like Jesus was a carpenter. Like we see that like their vocation, Their, their job did not limit their ministry and their job was not, I'm only this. Now we know Paul, Paul raised money to plant churches. Like we understand there was some payday for that, but like that wasn't his primary thing. And so I, I think this is really, really, this is so important for us to understand that labor, whether it's manual labor, like he's talking about, or you're working wherever you're working, that. You can, one, please God with it and two be a minister of the gospel in it, especially as you practice intentionality and building relationships, like bringing God's presence to your place of work. So I I love this. I think it's so powerful.
1: And let's let's take it there. Someone's listening right now and they're driving home from work or they're going to work or whatever else it might be. Help them, give some practical tips. How would you encourage them to live this out? Like, what is that? And I know you and I don't live, we don't work in that field. We're not in the marketplace. But how do we help people grasp that, grasp their calling?
2: Yeah, I mean, I I think... I I want to actually quote something that he's saying in this article cuz I think it's really interesting. Like he's not just talking about like being a, an evangelist or a missionary at his workplace, although I think that's the posture you should have. Like God has sent you there as an evangelist, as a missionary, not in this sort of like um I don't know how to how do I say this? Like don't be cheesy or off-putting about it, but like actually just love the people you work with with authenticity. Like Be a friend to them and show them the love of God in that way. But the other thing is he's talking about, he says, what I practice in manual labor is pulling the various parts of myself into an integrated whole. I apply times of prayer, showing up mind, body, soul, and strength to be with and offer praises to God while I work, he's talking about. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's an interesting thing too. Like It's not just what you're saying. Um, but the way you're doing what you're doing at work. Is it uh, an offering to God? Is it covered in mm-hmm. prayer? Can you encourage and love the people around you? Can you shine a light for Christ in a way that's um, meaningful, friendship building, bridge building, and just do your work with intentionality as unto right. the Lord? I think those, yes. are so, those are some keys.
1: There you go. and And I think... It, that's the biblical call, right? Everything we do, we do it as, with a posture of worship. And uh, I, I, if you're out there and you've got that plumbing job, the teacher job, whatever— uh, I just love how he ends the article. He says, my plumbing vocation certainly isn't the life I expected, but it's turning out to be the life for which I prayed.
0: Mm, God God cool. has
1: you where you are for a purpose. That's cool. Uh, bigger than even making money or doing that job. but But that is where you've called to be.
2: Brian, it is a historical, momentous, very sad day. We've been kind of kind of watching the news all morning, knowing this might come, but the Queen of England, Queen Elizabeth has passed away. And of course, we're thinking about praying for the royal family, thinking about all of our friends in England right now who are grieving. And she's such a historic figure. And you know, Brian, you kind of joke about how I'm a Queen of England fan. So here's what I want to do. I wanted to stop and honor her. Wanted to mention that this significant thing happened in history. Longest reigning monarch in England, so definitely worth mentioning. But I think let's do this next week as we get closer to the funeral and as uh, more and more stories and memories come out. I want to kind of wait and process her passing. And then next week we're going to spend probably more time than you want to talking about the Queen of England because I love her so much. But anyway, just wanted to mention that the Queen of England has passed away. Okay, the other thing that's been going on, Brian, in pop culture... Are you have you seen all these memes with Chris Pine and Harry Styles? And I mean, all this drama about this new movie release, Don't Worry, Darling, Olivia Wilde's directorial? I think it's her directorial debut.
1: I was just joking with you that I feel like I'm very plugged into pop culture, and this one's just confusing me. So, yeah, I saw the meme of did he spit on him or did he not, but like all anyone's talking about is this movie and the drama in the background. And I don't understand. I like, I don't know who a lot of these people are. Like I'm like, I don't know who Chris Pine is. And I don't know. Harry Styles is supposedly dating Olivia. This one's, this one is making me feel old because I don't grasp it.
2: Yeah. There's all kinds of memes where with Chris Pine and Harry Styles, apparently just a ton of like drama on set, people mad at other people and people getting fired and, Like rumors that because Olivia Wilde and Harry Styles formed a relationship while filming, that she wasn't doing her job, and Florence Pugh had to step in. I don't know, but I just felt like because it's pop culture, and partly because you know it's kind of fun, we needed to at least bring it to the table. Yes, and find like so. I don't know. I don't know if all of this is just press to try to get more people interested in the movie. I don't know if this is like a good press. That feels likely, doesn't it? That feels likely. Does I mean I kind of interesting to me that it's right as the movie's being released that all of this pr stuff is coming out so anyway we'll see what see what happens there but it is funny if you look up the harry styles and chris pine uh memes they're actually pretty entertaining the other thing is uh in in more much more serious heavy news there was a shooting rampage in memphis leaving four people dead at least i'm sure that number is going to change but at least that's what they're saying three wounded 19 year old suspect was arrested it's happened yesterday and uh just seems devastating like i mean it looks like he's just going around shooting
1: people it was scary and i yeah it was really sad to see i don't know why this one struck me that he's 19 mm, but young. was yeah also live streaming some of it like uh-huh. some of it was on and uh uh, yeah, it was really disturbing. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. It was all these shootings are, but the way this and Memphis mm-hmm. is just coming off of the back of that tragic kidnapping and killing of that teacher. Yes, uh, that was just heart. I mean, mm-hmm. just heartbreaking. Uh, and so Memphis has been really seeing it this week, and it reminds us, uh, friends, of the of just. The evil in the world. Like sometimes yeah. you just have to confront the evil of you this do, world. A lot of times yeah. we like to put our our heads in the sand and go, oh, this place isn't so bad. Everything's yeah. fine. It's heaven on earth. No, it's not. Bad it's not. things happen yeah. because there's evil people and evil sin yeah. in the world. Yeah, And that's the way you have to wrestle with these stories. Not trying to explain them, right. but going, uh, you know, come Lord Jesus, right? That's like, it. come that's redeem, it. come redeem. And thank you that this isn't how it'll always be.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I really think that's such a good word, Brian, because so often we do want to try to make sense of this stuff. And I think the reality of evil is is that it's chaos, right? And so you yeah. actually can't, you can't make sense of chaos, right? Only God can bring order to chaos. Like you just, it's it's nonsensical, evil is. And so you, so you just yes. have to somehow learn like, our muscle doesn't want us to sit in that, but I think you're right. Like we just have to face it and name it for what it is. Like this is evil. And like you said, come Lord Jesus. Like, Oh, yes. so heartbreaking. So Memphis, we are certainly thinking about you. We'll continue to continue to watch this story. Brian, in other news, the New York times, uh, wrote something, published something recently about the power of texting your friends. Okay. And I wanted to have a short conversation about, it cause I think it's really interesting that the New York times is, um, is bringing this up because i would say in christian circles we do talk about like hey reach out to somebody who's hurting send a text if you want to yeah but it seems like now it's being backed up by um some research by some studies so let me go ahead and share this to you um or share this with you new york times says calling texting or emailing a friend to say hello might seem like an insignificant gesture a chore even that isn't worth the effort Or maybe you worry an unexpected check-in wouldn't be welcome as busy as we all tend to be. But new research suggests that casually reaching out to people in our social circles means more than we think. This is uh, Peggy Liu, who is uh, part of uh, leading research in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology. She says this, even sending a brief message reaching out to check in on someone to say hi, that you're thinking of them to ask how they're doing can be appreciated more than people think. People tend to underestimate how Mm. much friends like hearing from them. Dr. Liu and her team ran a series of 13 experiments involving more than 5,900 participants to get a sense of how good people are at guessing how much their friends value being reached out to. And, um, basically in some of the experiments, participants reached out to someone they considered to be a friend and others, they got in touch with someone that they were friendly with, but considered a weak tie. And those reaching out to were then asked to rate how they felt about it. Were they appreciative, oh. happy, pleased, grateful, etc. And basically those on the receiving end of those texts showed how much it Improved their connection, improved them liking that person, improved Mm. their happiness. Basically, what this research is showing is that we need connection, like we need each other. And as something as simple as a text check-in just because has a large impact on other people's well-being. And I, I don't know why, but I just feel like that's kind of science telling us, like, to love people like Jesus does. Like, I just feel yeah. like science is just backing up, like, what we kind of know. We need community. We're built for it, and to be kind and considerate and like thoughtful about somebody else uh, goes a lot longer than we think it will, a lot further yeah. than we think it will.
1: What I find interesting about this article is. Uh, all of that, but also the fact that now we've gotten to the point where we where we're equating phone calls and texting where they're the oh, same thing. Oh
2: yeah. That's interesting.
1: Because think about the number of times we've said, Hey, you know, if you really need to talk to somebody, pick up the phone, make a phone call, but we've morphed as a culture and I totally get this. I don't ever pick up the phone. Like I I would love to just text somebody and it feels like we're begun equating the two. Like yeah. no, a text is as valuable yep. as a phone call. Yeah. And so I think that opens the door for a lot of people out there to go. Okay, I can do that. I think we need community, and there's just like who comes to mind to you right now who could use a text, yeah, or who you just would like to reconnect with. But maybe also there's somebody in your life who could just use a, hey, I'm mm-hmm. thinking about you, yeah, hey, I'm praying for you, hey, whatever, yeah. uh, shoot them that text today.
2: Yeah, I think that's I think that's just a good word. Shoot them that text, and you have no idea like how that will bring encouragement and show them. I think sometimes even a text makes people think. Oh, God's thinking about me because I needed that today. And so you don't know how God mm. might use you in that simple way. Uh, Brian, I wonder if you've had any difficult conversations lately. Not today. Not today. <laughs> okay, good. Today, today's today gone well without I it.
1: <laughs> it's been a little while since I've had one of those like, oh, I'm dreading this. I need yeah. to prepare for this. Yeah. This is going to be bad. I would say I've had some... um medium ones yeah. as of late, right? Like, hey, we, need okay. to, we need to talk about some things that aren't going well. Mm-hmm. We need to talk about, but you know, I, you've been in these situations, that conversation where you need to let somebody go yeah. or you need to talk to a loved one about just Ugh. how things aren't going well yes. or how things need to change. Those are brutal.
2: Those are brutal. And they're brutal. I think for a number of reasons, they're uncomfortable. I think we kind of like our physiology starts taking over and we get in like fight, flight or fawn mode or it, it or we just we don't know how it's going to go. And so that feels brutal. That feels scary. Uh, it's it's never I, I don't know many people who enjoy difficult conversations, even people who are like really good at conflict. I don't know anybody who's like, I can't wait to have this really exactly. hard, awful conversation.
1: Yeah, yeah, like I yeah. would say
2: most people avoid them.
1: And I Um, think maybe, maybe this says more about you and I, Yeah. but I think that if there are people like, no, I totally love them. I think that's problematic.
2: (laughs) You might be right. Like, are you okay? Is your soul okay that you like love that kind of conversation?
1: You can embrace what, you know, the result of a hard conversation will be,
2: Yes. but
1: if you're like, I cannot wait to just have awkwardness and get on (laughs) this person and tell them hard things. I don't know. Maybe you and I are just not wired that way, but it feels to me like. If you feel like you're wired that way, that's a little bit of a problem as well.
2: Yeah, like maybe that's something to work on, certainly. Well, uh, so Relevant is talking about having difficult conversations. And they're talking a lot about expressing political views on social media, which certainly they say, this is how their description is, is like dropping bloody fish guts into a shark tank. (laughs) It's downright (laughs) scary. Um, But basically... uh, Because of these exchanges that we're seeing more and more online, whether it's about politics or something else, this author is saying that Christians trash each other way too often. This is Karina Phillip. And so she offers... 14 questions that we can ask ourselves as we engage in difficult conversations. And mm. so the list is a little long, Brian, 14, but I, was I gonna want say, to, to come up with
1: 14. Yeah, is, I know. That's kind, impressive. Of,
2: kind of impressive. But I want to share them with you and just kind of get your feedback. Like, let's just have a okay. conversation because I think there's some wisdom here for all of us. Let me read the first few. Uh, she says, number one, is my objective simply to make a point or to point people to Christ? Mm. Two, am I regarding the person I disagree with as a fellow image bearer of God? And three, are the things we agree on of more consequence than the things we disagree about? I feel like those three are enough. Like those yeah, are like good it. questions. And then my pointing yep, people yep. to Jesus is: am I treating this person with dignity as my image bearer? And like, can we actually focus on things that we agree about? I I thought that was really good. Let me yeah. let me read on this these next uh, three. What if neither of us has a full grasp on the issues and we need each other to see a more complete picture? I think that's really Mm. interesting. Five, can I acknowledge the inherent conflict, tension, and trade offs of siding with any political party or party or tribe or viewpoint? Six, can we acknowledge, she's talking about politics here, that no political party, I would say no political party, no point of view, no tribe, has a monopoly on what we believe that in some cases Mm. it's not as simple as this versus that. Okay. Those are the first six. Any of those, anything stand out to you there? Uh,
1: I do like the one when you're going into a hard conversation going, are there things that we can agree on Yeah, uh, that like, instead of starting with just the, Hey, we're going to fight and we're not going to agree about anything or whatever else. But instead of that, are there things that uh, of bigger concept, Hey, you know what? you are my brother in Christ. Mm. Like we are, we're, we're on the same team. Yeah, or we, You know, that's the most important thing, but there is something between us that we need to talk about. You know, yeah. it's this idea of like, okay, let's get on common ground. Let's remember that. I I think there's something to that. I think there's something to, hey, I love you as a family member. Like you're my family member. I I do. I love you. I want to be in a relationship with you, but here's what's stopping that. Yeah. And then going from there instead of just diving in and being like, you're the worst.
2: Right, right. I think that's so good. Like have that posture of like uh, kind of grace and friendship and assuming the best before you dive into the things you disagree on. I think that's really Mm. good too. Here's the next few. Uh, Number seven, can we work together outside of the current political environment to demonstrate the love of Christ and improve things in our country? I think that's really interesting. Number eight, am I placing my culture, religion, traditions, or any other affiliation or ideology above identification with Christ and what he commands? Nine, am I defending the truth of God's word or striving to preserve power, wealth, and entitlements that favor me above others? Ten, has my personal apathy and compromise contributed to our country's current societal ills. So again, she's talking about like political arguments. Mm. Um, 11 is my aversion to our leadership. So acute that it impedes me from obeying the biblical command to honor and pray for our leaders. That one's interesting, Brian, because I wonder how many of us are like, whether, uh, you know, political leaders, especially, but church leaders, whoever, whoever, is my aversion to them so strong that I can't even honor and pray for them that's certainly something to think about
1: it really is i i it's very politically focused here as yeah. you said but yeah. you know if if we can't see beyond our own biases if we can't mm. see beyond this is the old speck in the eye uh versus the log in the eye
2: yeah i
1: should never be able to go into a hard conversation with somebody without saying where's my fault in this. Mm, what have yeah what am I how have I hurt this relationship? How have what have I done? Like if it's if it's the height of arrogance to just be like, it's all your fault and mm, I'm gonna tell you how and yeah. ha- tell you how you need to change or we're done. Like that's yeah. just arrogant. And yeah. It's not helpful. That's why Jesus said look at the log in your own eye before pointing out the speck. He never said there wasn't the speck in the other person's eye. Right. He just right. said there's something bigger in your own and you got to mm. deal with it.
2: Yeah, that's really good. All right. Let me read the, the last three. So um, is my defense of our leadership so unequivocal that it impedes me from obeying the biblical man to speak up and defend the rights of the weak and destitute? So she's kind of flipping that last one on its head. Then I think these last two are are really, really important for us can I call out any unbiblical views my brother or sister might have in humility and in love? And the last one, can I accept being called out for any unbiblical views I might have in humility and love? So anyway, those are 14 questions that you can ask yourselves before diving into difficult conversations, uh, mostly about politics, but I think about other things as well, online or in person. These are good, sort of like, Heart checks, posture checks before you dive in uh, to, to, I mean, you're probably not going to avoid the difficult or tough conversation, but just to know, like, am I doing this from a right posture with a right motive in a way that honors God and honors my neighbor? I think that's so important for all of us to think about um, before we dive into these. All right, Brian. And being willing to have
1: those... Real fast and being willing to have those hard conversations. That's like, it. Yeah. A lot of us just avoid them. Yeah. And things build up and build up and build up. So having some of these tools to say, okay, is there somebody that I need to have a mm. difficult conversation with? And maybe some of these questions will help you frame that conversation. Yeah.
2: Yep. That's good. Um, it is the end of the show, and at the end of every show, we like to bring you something challenging, inspiring, or something to put a smile on your face. And Brian, I was uh, on Twitter. And somebody asked like one of the most basic questions that you and I probably have said a thousand times in conversation to other people, to each other, we say it all the time, but she was like, I literally don't know how to answer this question. Here's the tweet. Okay. What's an acceptable response to, here's the question. What's up? She says, I'm never quite sure what's. Being asked, and <laughs> it is such a funny question because people started responding. Some person said, "If you're twelve, chicken butt is the usual answer." What's up, <laughs> chicken butt? <laughs> but people are like really having a conversation about like what in the world do we mean by this? How do we respond? What's a good response? So okay, when somebody asks you, "What's up?" What do you usually say? Are you like nothing? What's up with you?
1: Uh, if you're trying to move it along. If, uh-huh. you're tr- if they're not that close to you, if it's more like the, Hey, what's up? Then it's yeah. not much. What's up with you? Uh, <laughs> is, Cause that's usually, they're not usually uh, caring to know. Like yeah. it would be awkward if someone were like, Hey, what's up? And you were like, you know what? I'm really struggling with some darkness in my soul today. <laughs> and I'm really, uh, I'm really walking the path here. I'm trying to remain faithful. You know, if you start doing yeah. that, the person would yeah. look at you and be like, Oh, i was just trying to move this along yeah yeah i picture i picture what's up being with a with a buddy and at the same time you're like doing that bro hug where you slap hands right right like hey what's up
2: so that's the what's up so the question is what's up is really not a question i mean this it's really not a question it's like a hey it's just a hey hey like what's up is the same as hi so, people are giving responses like, uh, you know, like you said, keep it casual, nothing much. Oh, you know, same old stuff. Lots of people saying they say nothing much, but they say they're never sure if people are st- trying to start a conversation or not. Somebody said, I used to say to what's up the sky, the ceiling, the opposite of down. Needless to say, that was not a popular answer after a while. Um, some people say, They say, not much. How about you? So that they have to answer their own question. But it is funny that lots of people are kind of wrestling with like, this is a weird question. And I don't know how to answer this. But most people are saying they respond with something very generically. In my house, uh, actually, this one's funny before I share what's going on in my house. Somebody else says, I usually just say, just live in the dream or just be awesome. I I like that.
1: It is. Uh, I don't think the, like I said, I don't think that... A lot of what we do when we first interact with people, whether it's what's up or hey, man, or this yeah. uh, is looking for any sort of deep connection. Like if I yeah. look at you and I stop, like what's up is even are normally done as we're moving past each other. Right.
2: That's true. Like like if, I, that-
1: if I look at you and I'm like, hey, Aubrey, like, how are you, How are you? That's yeah. like a much more door open. Right. to Let me right. share what's actually going on. And it could be like, oh, I got to think about this. Yeah. What's up should not uh should not cause you to pause and go, you know what? I'm gonna think deeply about really what is up right, right now.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> Although, right. can I
1: just say uh please don't be uh grinds my gears here, please don't be that really annoying person. And if you think you're funny if you say this, I'm just telling you everybody you do this to thinks that you're annoying. Is if somebody says to you what's up and you answer the ceiling. Or the sky. <laughs>
2: Like that's no longer a funny joke. Like that might be. That have been person funny. is
1: running away from you as fast as they can.
2: <laughs> so um Kevin Brian always asks, he never says what's up, but he comes home from work and he'll go, So Aubrey, what's the word? And I'm like, what? What's I, like, the word? What, what do you mean? Like, what are you asking? Are you asking what's for dinner? Are you asking what's going on? Are you asking? Like, I I don't know why, but that stresses me out so much. And then the boys think it's funny to like you know, answer literally, like, what's the word? They'll come up with some word and they'll say it. But like,
1: I don't know
2: why, but that makes me feel so much more stress- stressed out than what's up. Like, what's the word? I don't know how to handle that. I don't know. I'm Have like...
1: you asked him about it? Have you yeah, been like, like, dude, like, what? Do you, why? Do you, what is he? How does he answer that?
2: Yeah. Like, what do you mean by that? I feel so much pressure when you ask me that. And he, like, mostly he's just like, calm down. Like, I'm just saying hello. Like, it's just a greeting. It's like, what's up? But I feel like he's asking me like, what's going on? What's the schedule? What, like, what are we doing I don't know why it's so funny, but what's the word stresses me out a lot more than what's up.
1: Is it different in uh, in a marriage situation? Like I can't see saying to my wife, "What's up?"
2: Really? Like you're not, now you that you're not I say that, like, hey, Carrie, what's up?
1: Now that I say that, sometimes my I've told you before, my wife hates to talk on the phone, and sometimes I will call her <laughs> during the day just to check in. <laughs> right. And oh yeah, and I like this. She will. <laughs> It will be clear. She doesn't do it on purpose. Right. But it will be clear from her, from her, from the first word Uh that it's annoying. It's annoying that I call. So,
2: but to the point that I will say things,
1: well, that's what I'm getting to, Uh, to the point that I will say things to her, like, Hey, I'd probably prefer you just not answer the call. (laughs) Like if you're busy, if you're doing work, if you're not wanting to talk like just don't answer, like hit ignore and then text me hey i'm busy or hey i can't talk right, or whatever right but no oftentimes what made me think of that is oftentimes in those situations and i know if this is how she answers the call i know like we're not this, this conversation good, is not gonna yeah. be fun i will call and she'll just go hey what's up as if and that what's up is different because it is like that's
2: different that what that's what's that one is, is, like, is asking how dare you how dare you call me right now
1: it's more asking like you probably it'd be a good idea if you had a purpose for this phone call (laughs) and a lot of times i'll answer it like hey i'm just in the car and i thought i'd call and say hi and then she'll either like try to get off the call or she'll have this moment of like going oh um yeah no things are going well like she has to like (laughs) mentally shift herself but if i get the what's up from her when i
2: call yeah uh
1: is i know that, that that phone call is going to be um it's going to be something it's no be that's
2: something. funny i like hearing you say this i definitely do that to kevin like i am definitely like uh yeah hey but what's up and that's kind of definitely the subtext of that is like i'm too busy to talk to you right now why are you calling me like there's so much subtext in what's up like it's actually really really funny to think about. i get
1: that from her all the time regularly just like hey what's up
2: yeah. And I'm like, yeah. Um,
1: oh, hey, I better come I... up with something. Or else, okay. Wow, like, hey, I... I was just in the car,
2: just <laughs> wow, driving you... to wherever. You just made me feel really special, aren't you? <laughs> like, that's yeah. Just yeah. Thinking, and then wow, I I know... I make Kevin feel like garbage, probably.
1: But then I know I make her feel a gu- little guilty about it. Like, yeah. oh, you know, just yeah. thought we'd check in and say hi. And, uh... <laughs> Nope. Nope. It doesn't come. So anyway, oh, what's man. up? Uh, know that in normal conversation, what's up is said to keep the things moving. Yeah. It's keep not things to moving. sit here and talk
2: or yeah. Or like, I don't want to talk. It's used that way. Okay. Right. Real quickly. Let me read you. I know you don't like the ceiling as an answer. What's up with the ceiling. Here's some other ones. Here's some alternatives. My blood pressure. Oh, that's not bad. Not a thing, but a chicken wing. They hate it. Yeah, that one's that one's that one's not very Hate good. Hate it. Uh, same old, same old. That's okay. That's okay. Here's a funny one. My rent. Say that again. My rent. What's up? My rent.
1: It's okay. Feels like go. it makes me want to be like, oh, are you okay? Yeah. Oh, sorry about that. Do you need yeah. some money? Like, I don't know. Are you asking me for money when you say right. that? Right.
2: Okay. Here's another one. What's up? That's for me to find out. That's for me to know and you to find out.
1: <laughs> no, no. I feel like no. that takes us
2: back to elementary school. What's yeah, up? Yeah. Here, here's a good one everything that's supposed to be
1: oh that's too deep yeah that's overthinking
2: yeah that's o that's overthinking it all right those are some responses okay let's uh just don't say the sky (laughs) um here's here's the last one this one's kind of average but i like it what's up counting the hours till the weekend I feel like that's That's okay. I feel like that's your kind of answer. That one's okay. All right. Well, that is the power of what's up. Let us know if you have any funny responses when people ask you that we will be back again tomorrow from four to 6 PM for Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson. And you've been listening to the common good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.